At Fellowship Bible Church, we're pretty um, careful about what type of protest movement we're going to join. And uh, as we saw the realities of this, uh, a humanitarian crisis affecting over uh, half a million people in the Sudan, and uh, for no other reason than their uh, profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we wanted to get involved. And so a substantial portion of our Christmas offering is going to go to give relief aid as needed to these people. It actually is going to be flying in kind of um, very dangerous territory to drop these relief into the Nuba Mountains where half a million people are um, kept up there in this Blue Nile region of the Sudan. Um, This is a humanitarian crisis. And uh, as a church that believes in life, life for the preborn and the born, uh, God is about the whole life policy. And we are going to get involved. We're not going to be silent. And so I would just encourage you to give generously to this need. And uh, I'll, I'll continue to talk about it and call you into it because, you know, this is just a continuation of being a part of God's plan of redemption. The reality is, is God uses people in his plan of redemption. Uh, people who've received redemption, stepping down from pride, stepping down from their position, stepping down from their practices, exchanging ourselves for Christ to be lived through us. And that whole plan of redemption that we saw, we saw that there's that great exchange where on the cross, Jesus gave his life for ours so that we receive what is his, right? We have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. And now we're part of a story of redemption. And in the biblical narrative of the birth of Christ, God uses people in his simple plan of redemption. So redemption's not just an ideology. It's not just a theme through the Bible. It's not just a topic. It's an interactive experience that God is calling people into his story. Because he's in each and every one of us, God. He's not just God of the masses. He's God for each and every one of us can play a role, no matter our age, our gender, our race, our life stage, our limitation, our position. Every one of us can be used by God in his plan of redemption. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Don't you want to be used by God? As I talk to Christians, I talk to a lot of bored Christians who um, understand what being nice is about but ultimately want to commit their lives into something greater than themselves. That is the story of redemption. And we're going to find out how one simple Jewish girl was used by God in his redemptive plan. And we're going to be shown what what was a part of her life that can be a part of our lives in following God and joining him in this plan of redemption. So in this world that Jesus came to over 2,000 years ago, this world of Caesars and kings and thrones and empires, at the center of this story is a simple Jewish girl named Mary and her fiancé, Joseph, a carpenter. And those who witnessed this story for the first time were simple shepherds out in a field in Bethlehem. God is revealing something about us. He's revealing something about him about the people he uses in his plan. So let's connect to this plan. It's in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 28. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And we're going to talk about this story of of Mary and the angel. Look at this. It says, In the sixth month of... Uh, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born that will be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now look at what God is revealing to us about how he works with people. Mary had a simple faith. And what we're going to learn in this story is that God uses people who have a simple trust in him. People who don't question him. People who don't doubt him. People who don't um, uh, be skeptical about him. But people who simply believe in him. People who believe and live the reality that nothing is impossible With God. You know, that's been the historical call of God throughout history in the scriptures. Is we see a God who continually asks in people who view life as the impossible to call. They call them to do you trust me? Do you trust me enough? Do you trust me against everything and everyone that's against you? Do you trust me in the impossible? And the scriptures show that repeating story. Of man and woman who trusted God amongst impossible circumstances and God showed up. God revealed himself. And the reality of it is is God is rewarding something here. God is rewarding a simple faith. Do you know that when you have a simple faith in Jesus Christ, that's the faith that saves you. John 3.16 says that God loved this world so much that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's that simple belief that the ultimate gift of Jesus is received with a simple faith. Faith not in yourself, in your own goodness, in your own good works, in your own integrity. Not in a 50-50 compromise with God where you show up at church and he shows up in your life. You're you giving the offering and he owes it to you to give you a good life but a hundred percent simple faith in Jesus Christ. Because the reality is none of us can save ourselves. That's the reality. It's like this past September when I went out uh, fishing right off of, of the coast of Florida. And I went out on one of those cheap party boats. There were about 50 of us. And the captain came up and said, guys, it's going to be a little rough out there today. And I said, yeah, I can handle this. The boat was really big. And I, I said, you know, it's not, not going to be Bobby. He says, there's eight foot waves out there. 
Everyone kind of looked at it. None of us had had a lot of experience in the seas, at least in a boat that small. So, so we all kind of go, yeah, we can handle that. We looked at the harbor and everything was just kind of just rocking a little bit. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, we can handle this. So we go out in this boat and we go through the harbor and it's beautiful. And then we go out by the breakers and there's a dolphin that comes up and surfaces. Oh, is this nice? And then we go through the breakers and then all of a sudden, gop. This this boat hits the waves and we're bobbing up there and it wasn't just a few minutes and people were hanging over the side hurling their breakfast and I was like, oh, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. That's going to get me sick. And I don't know what goes through your mind when you go through an experience like that. You know, you know when I'm in one of those crisis moments, I don't always go to the cup half full. I go to the cup half empty kind of statements like this thing could go down. It's kind of like that dare I had with my friend. We got on the plane. I said, in the first five seconds of you sitting in, the, in this plane, you got to go, you know, these things go down and just watch around you. Everyone gets nervous. But we were in this boat and I was thinking, what, what if we went down? What if this boat was sinking? What would I do? And I start looking, where are the, where are the life jackets? There's not even a boat I could get onto. How, how can I tread water? And I'm just simulating in my mind. What I would do, kick off my shoes so I could tread water for a while. I'd do the backstroke. But the reality is that if the boat was going down, it would not matter your age. It would not matter your race. It wouldn't matter the family you came from, your position you hold, your intelligence, your income, or your experience in life. The boat is going down. You need to be saved. That's the commentary scripture gives of our lives. In a world of depravity, folks, we're going down. It's not getting better. And so we all need to be saved. And so that's where Jesus steps in and is our savior. The one who steps into our boat and provides a raft, a life giving life that we can have salvation through him. And that's what you believe in. You believe in only Christ. That's the simple faith that you have to be saved. It's not in your works. It's not in comparing yourself with anyone else around you. It's realizing that no matter how hard you try to be, you can't be perfect. So we all fall short of the glory of God. And the simple faith that saves is that it's simply through Jesus Christ. Mary had that simple faith. But you know what? This simple faith continues after we trust Christ. It continues into the realities of our lives. It affects how we live. It affects how we pray. One thing that I've realized is some Christians just check the box and I've got Jesus. Okay, ready. I got hell insurance now. I'm I'm set. But the reality is, is they live and they worry about everything else as if Jesus doesn't exist. So we worry about our kids and we can't control them. We worry about our jobs when we don't make the money we want. We worry about this world and the direction it's headed. We just worry. We have PhDs in worry. And we aren't people of this simple faith in Jesus. And God calls us to be people who have a simple faith in him. That understands that nothing is impossible with God. Mary understood that last part, with God. She realized God was with her. So nothing was impossible. It's not self-help faith where we go, nothing's impossible. Just think better thoughts and be a better person. No, it's nothing is impossible with God. When you have God, nothing's impossible. So what do you think right now is impossible in your life? Is your job or the lack thereof one? Is it that relationship or the lack thereof a relationship? 
Is it your marriage? Is it the heart of your children? Is it your future? Whatever it is, you have to practice that simple faith, that simple faith that even before you can figure it out, because folks, Mary didn't figure this all out before she believed. We have to say, God, I'm willing to trust in you, that you have my best in mind, that you are for me. Uh, Lord, I have to step away from my own little self-trust world. And I've got to be willing to trust in you. Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary believed that. But we just don't see a simple faith. We also see a simple obedience in Mary. Look at verse 38. It says this. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Folks, that's where we want to be. We want to be people who say, God, as your word says, I'm going to do. Who your word calls me to be, count me in. I'm your servant. I'll be the one who follows you. I'll be the one who obeys you. Her response is simple. I'm a servant. She expressed her trust in two things. The word of God that came to her through Gabriel. And then the promise of God that the child born to her would be the Messiah. the, The saved, the saving one of Israel. This is, this is the whole picture that we see. She's expressing her trust in God. And when you obey and follow the Lord. You express the same thing. Lord, I believe in your word that it's true and I will live for your promise. Not the, not the little reward that I'm pursuing. Not my own little picture, but your reward that you promise to those who follow you. And we see this repeated through every simple person that God uses. We see this with Joseph, like in Matthew chapter one, verses 24 and 25, after the angel came to him and said, this is of the Lord in Mary. Take her as her as your wife and don't have relationships until after this child is born. And and then when this child is born, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. And you have Joseph immediately obeying, simply obeying. Yes, he did exactly as the angel told him to do. When the baby was born, he named him Jesus. We see in simple shepherds. Obeying the call to the angels, go to Bethlehem, search for this child. They go to Bethlehem in haste and they find the baby Jesus and they worship him and they tell everything which was, and they, and they, this is what they say. It was everything just like the angels had told us. A simple obedience. Parents, you understand what I'm talking about on simple obedience, don't you? Your kids are sitting around, they got a screen in front of them and they have a screen in front of them and you go, hey, how about cleaning up that room sometime, you know, like now? And, and you get the, okay, it's not simple obedience. Something just went complex, right? I don't know what went complex. Kids make it complex sometimes when they don't simply obey. If you're an employer and you have goals for the end of the month and that doesn't happen and you go, hey, why didn't this happen? Your employees go, well, and they all make excuses and there's all these reasons why it didn't happen. And you get frustrated that there wasn't just a simple do that. Just simply do that and everything would be okay. But you know, before we pointed at our kids and before we pointed at our you know people we work with, let's just point it at ourselves. Could it be said of you 
and the word of God, that your life is in simple obedience to the word of God, even before you understand it. See, that's the pattern of those that people God uses. God uses people who are simple in obedience. In leading a church, I hear it all the time. Hey, you know what we found is that when you're in a small group, you experience life together and you process your faith. You articulate your faith. Why? Why should I be in a small group? We get that. It's pushback. Because you don't believe that the small group is an environment where you can grow with the Lord. Hey, we really think that people ought to be in ministry. Everyone is called to be in ministry. And when you're not just inhaling the word of God, but exhaling in obedience to God in application and serving others. Why? It's too busy. I wish we had different things around this church for me. Okay? It's not that simple obedience. Would it be said of you? You see, I've found they have no problem agreeing with things in the scriptures that I'm not struggling with. But if there's one thing God's great in my grill calling me to change in my life, then I tend to do the why. Or I go, hey, that was, you know, that was a great thought and that was a great truth back in its day in ancient times. But it certainly has no transference right for me. And we make our excuses. Mary simply obeyed. I don't understand it, but it's supernatural. And I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. Count me in. I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. That's where we want to be, where the word of God has freedom in our lives. And if you studied the word of God and if you do that on a regular basis and you get into God's word, you're going to find there's always something On one hand, you have the grace of God forgiving and cleansing and affirming and encouraging. But then you have the will of God moving us out of our comfort zone into the redemptive plan of God. And God, in order to use us, is requiring us to say yes to him. Not why or no. But yes, count me in. Let it be to my life as it is in your word. That's what I want. I want to be a man of integrity. Where there's not a lot of difference between what God's word is calling me to and how I'm living. That's where we need to be. Mary celebrated that in in a simple faith with a simple obedience. But that's not just where she stopped. She continued. And if you you move with me down to verse 46 in in Luke chapter chapter 1, we have what's called the Magnificat. And, And what this is, is Mary, after she had really got her mind around the role that she would play in the story of Jesus. She gave glory to God. She made him greater in her life. Look at this. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, she had a simple faith. 
She had a simple obedience, but Mary was also simple in her worship. It was all about giving glory to God. Look at what she said. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This reveals not only her knowledge of the scriptures, but the memory of the scriptures and the living of the scriptures and the looking of, the, of God to, to be a part of the fulfillment of the scriptures. Because she quotes Old Testament prophecy that point to the coming Messiah. She simplifies it. Now, let me just tell you something about her that will give you a greater appreciation for what this is. She was a 15, at, at all estimation, she was a 15-year-old girl. 15 to 16-year-old girl who was probably illiterate and was not around the everyday teaching of the scriptures. So she heard the scriptures and, and the oral tradition in which it was given to her. And she memorized the scriptures and she looked to the God of the scriptures. She had very little hope in this world of, of obtaining even a job in life if marriage didn't work out. She didn't have any hope of voting or empowerment that women in our culture experience. She was someone who was considered an asset by others in her world. Not someone with dignity, but God took this little girl and gave her dignity and put her at the center of his plan. And who did she give glory to? She gave glory to God. And she quoted Old Testament promises because she hid her heart with God. And therefore, we revere Mary. Nowhere does she become a God or is deified here. The New Testament church respected and honored Mary, but they never prayed to her and they never worshipped her. And, and nowhere are we told that we should in the scriptures. So it is not biblical to pray to Mary. And as you look at this passage, which has the greater authority than church tradition, this does not show us that we ought to worship Mary. Matter of fact, her position before God is one of humbling herself and saying, my soul exalts in God, my Savior. The same Jesus she birthed saved her. So you have that picture of Mary. And, but, but on the other hand, we're not to ignore Mary. She was used greatly of the Lord. And, and in sometimes our visceral response to those who pray to Mary, we ignore the great role that she filled in the plan, the redemptive plan of God. So Christian, honor this woman who's a model for us of simple faith, simple obedience, and simple worship. What does she worship? She worships what God has done for her future. From now on, generation after generation will call me blessed. She worships the hope that she has in God, her Savior, who scatters and confronts the proud and gathers and protects the humble. She sees God as her strength, who brought down the mighty and lifted up the humble who placed their trust in him. She sees God as her provision, that everything in her life is provided by God, who fills the hungry, that only God satisfies, and the rich he will say, send away hungry. She realized the futility of possessions without the worship of God. We're still learning that, and a 16-year-old Jewish girl understood it in the plan of God.
You see what's happening here? We live in an age of the greatest amount of resources we've ever had to consume. And we've had in our lifetimes. And yet, we are the least satisfied, least fulfilled people in the history of this world. Marrying probably the bleakest, darkest opportunity for women in the history of this world finds great gain and great contentment in putting her faith, putting her obedience, and placing the worship of Jesus as her greatest priority. Do you see what happens here? When Jesus is the greatest relationship in her life. If a girl from a human perspective without a hope without a future that many women empowered by rights today would pity, was at the center of God's redemptive plan. Then God can work with any one of us, right? God can use any one of us when we live with a simple faith in a simple obedience, with a simple worship, making our lives all about making Jesus greater on earth as he is in heaven. That's the role we fill. So in the Nuba Mountains in January, when our relief goods are released from a plane and cartons are opened and people find people are eating one meal a day on what looks like a cornmeal mush served from a bucket. And all of a sudden they get nutritional food from one simple church in Topeka, Kansas, who decided to give generously, who decided to spend less in order to give more this Christmas. Who do you think they'll praise? They won't know our name. They won't even have our church name. But if you're a Christian being persecuted and you're wondering where things are going to come from and they arrive, won't you give glory to God? Don't we want to be a church that as a result of a simple faith and a simple obedience and a simple worship, people worship God? Yeah. That's the legacy of Mary. And that's the legacy of everyone that God uses. They live with a simple faith. They follow with a simple obedience. And they praise God with a simple worship. It's all about him. I'm in. I want to be that man who reflects this that Mary has shown us in giving glory to God and in the worship of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be a church that's used by you to make a difference in this world because of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that you can count on to to be a simple church around a simple faith with a simple obedience. One that doesn't doesn't follow you kicking and screaming or asking why or or constantly making that comparative decision of which is better, God or other things. We want to be people who are so convinced in, in the reality of who you are that we follow you. Father, we want to be so much more than just nice people. We want to be people whom, whom like it says in, in the book of Hebrews, the world is not worthy of us. Because we operate with a simple faith and trust in you. And so, Lord, may we be that church. May we be people of simple faith, simple obedience, and simple worship. So that Jesus would become greater. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.